The title of my message this morning is Jonah, the Backslidden Prophet. Jonah, the Backslidden Prophet. Starting at chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah is one of the 12 minor prophets, not because his message is insignificant, but because of the size of the book. Jonah is chiefly remembered for running away from God and being swallowed by a giant fish. His his mission is unique because Jonah is the only prophet called to go to a foreign nation and preach God's message against them. That was unprecedented. Jonah was a prophet. What are the marks of a true prophet? One, he was called by God. It wasn't self-initiated or self-appointed. Two, he spoke in God's name. That means he could say what God had told him to say. Thus saith the Lord. So he was God's spokesman. Three, his message never contradicted other revelations or other messages. Four, The predictions of a true prophet were fulfilled. And five, identification as a prophet was authenticated by miracles, signs, and wonders, such as Moses parting the Red Sea or Elijah calling down fire from heaven in 1 Kings 18. So prophets were identified by these miracles. Jonah's name means dove. But he was acting more like a donkey. He was stubborn. He was obstinate. In ancient Israel, a dove was recognized as a symbol of peace. But Jonah didn't bring a message of peace, only of judgment. His hometown of Gathaper was about three miles from Nazareth. I have a question. Can a Christian backslide? Can a Christian backslide? Can a prophet backslide? Yes. Jonah is a backslidden prophet. What is backsliding? The dictionary, I had to go look in the dictionary. The dictionary says backsliding is reverting to sin or to to relapse into bad habits. That's backsliding. And backsliding doesn't happen overnight. It is a process. See, Backsliding isn't just falling backwards. It is failing to go forward spiritually. You can't stand still in the Christian life. You're either moving forward or you're going backwards. You're either progressing or you're regressing. And I need to clarify something here. The term backslider has been used sometimes to describe unregenerate people who have made a profession for Christ and then later reverted back or fallen back into their old sinful lifestyle. Well, these were false professions according to Matthew 7:21. They were never born again. So this term technically should not be used to describe unregenerate people. They are lost, not backslidden. They are 
professors, not possessors. Do you see the distinction between the two? True born-again backsliders or believers are those who have fallen back into sin temporarily or are not growing spiritually due to sin. And Hebrews 12, 6 tells us that those who are God's children will endure discipline. Okay, that's enough about Jonah. Let's talk about the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah is a wonderful book of 48 verses. It has so many themes and applications. There's God's discipline and God's uh, uh, deliverance. God's faithfulness and God's forgiveness. God's love and mercy. God's provision and salvation. God's sovereignty and God's great commission. The book of Jonah teaches us to look ahead to the one who called himself the ultimate Jonah in Matthew 12, 41. In the first half of the book, Jonah plays the part of the prodigal son from Jesus' famous parable in Luke 15, 11, where he runs away from his father and disobeys all his rules. In the second half of the book, Jonah plays the part of the older brother who obeys his father but berates him for his graciousness to repentant sinners. Neither son trusted his father's love. They both had ulterior motives. One did it by obeying the father's rules. The other one did it by disobeying the father's rules. They are both in different ways running from God. The parable ends with a question from the father to the pharisaical son. Just as in the book of Jonah, it ends with a question to the pharisaical prophet. I would like to start with chapter 1, and then we'll look at chapter 2 next week. So the first point of chapter 1 is the disobedience to the word. Look at that. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for the evil has come before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Wow. Why? Why did Jonah, who was a prophet, blatantly disobey the word of God? Blatantly. He is given a mandate. He is given a commission to go to Nineveh and preach against it. There is a sense of urgency. God said, arise, go, call out against it. And what did he do? Jonah, who is a man of God, a prophet, disobeyed God's will. But before you judge and criticize Jonah, we are all like Jonah. We all disobey God. Haven't you done something against God's will? We all have done something against God or, or against his will. But in his grace, he gives us a second chance. God called a, a specific person to go to a specific place for a specific purpose. And in God's infinite wisdom, he called Jonah. God said, go. Jonah said, no. God said, go east to Tarshish. He went west to Nineveh. God said, call out against it. Jonah called for a sea cruise. That is disobedience. I believe Jonah is the only prophet 
to refuse God's commission. And I want you to notice something. God uses the most unlikely people to accomplish his will. God could have sent Isaiah. In Isaiah 6, 8, God says, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah responds, Here I am. Send me. God could have sent Amos, who was also a contemporary prophet at that same exact time. God called Moses, who stuttered to deliver three million people out of Egypt. God called the apostles, who were uneducated and and, and fishermen, to turn the world upside down. God called Jeremiah, who was young and timid, to be a prophet. God called Abraham to have a son at 100 years old to be the father of many nations. God doesn't choose famous, larger-than-life people to accomplish his will. God chooses everyday normal people with weaknesses so that no human being can boast in the presence of God. That's amazing to me. I never would have chosen Jonah. Never. Jonah was running from God. He disobeyed God's commission and went in the opposite direction. Isn't that the job of a prophet to preach? R.C. Sproul points out that the expression, now the word of the Lord, is used 112 times to give a divine message to a prophet. Jonah is probably the worst prophet in the Old Testament. He had a bad attitude. He didn't have a Christ-like attitude. He was selfish instead of selfless. Do you know why? Do you know why Jonah rebelled against God's mandate? Because Jonah hated the Assyrians. Jonah despised them. The Assyrians were Israel's enemies. And Assyria was one of the most cruelest and violent empires in the known world. After capturing their enemies, they would typically cut off one arm and both legs and, and then go and shake their hand in mockery right before they died. They forced family members and friends to parade around town with their loved ones' decapitated heads on an elevated pole. They used to have a, a triangle of skull heads as you would come into their territory. They, they were violent. They pulled out prisoners' tongues and they uh, stretched bodies uh, with ropes and flayed them alive, just like Mel Gibson when he portrayed the part of William Wallace in the movie Braveheart. They burned adolescents alive. They were terrorists. And this is the reason Jonah hated them. Jonah was a racist. What is a racist? It's based on the belief that one's own race is superior to others. It's a learned sin. You are not born with that. You can read about uh, racism in Philip Yancey's book, What's Grace All About? What's so amazing about grace? Yet, this pagan nation was the object of God's missionary outreach. It was even more shocking to Jonah that God would want to warn Nineveh of impending judgment. He This made no sense to him. How how could he do this? He was an intense patriot. He was a a proud Hebrew. He was a loyal nationalist. But Jonah had a big problem because he couldn't understand God's reason for wanting to 
preached to the wicked Ninevites. Jonah doubted God's wisdom, his goodness, and his justice. We have all had that experience when we receive devastating news that a family member has cancer or somebody has died tragically. When we've lost our job and we can't find another job and we're in between jobs and we're despairing, we're wondering, what's happening? What's, What's God doing? When a romantic relationship suddenly crashes and burns, we're like, what, what, what's, what is this? Or even more closer to home, the Tubbs fire, the Santa Rosa fires, and, and the Paradise fires that burned down almost the whole city. It was like, where is God? How can this be God's goodness? We doubt God's goodness. Adam and Eve doubted God's goodness. When God said in Genesis 2.16, you may eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. But in Genesis 3.6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of it, she ate of it, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. God had given no reason as to why they should not eat from that tree. Adam and Eve decided, just like Jonah, that if they couldn't think of a good reason for the command of God, there there couldn't be one. There couldn't be one. God could not be trusted to have their best interests in mind, so they ate. They doubted God's goodness. You see, Jonah has a problem with God's mercy. And it's not just a theological problem. It was a heart problem. God, Jonah wants a God of his own making. One who judges and destroys the bad people, the Ninevites, and one who blesses the good people, <laughs> Jonah and the Israelites. That's what he wanted. Turn to Jonah 4.1. Just a couple pages over, Jonah 4.1. This is a wonderful book of only 48 verses. Chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in love, in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Jonah was not just disobedient, he was angry. Let me paraphrase what he said. Basically, he said, isn't this what I said? I knew it. I knew it. I, that's why I fled to Tarshish. I knew that you were gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in love, and you might relent from judging the Ninevites. I knew it. I knew it. I want to ask you a question. Was his theology good or bad? Let me ask uh, Professor Saragusa. Professor Saragusa, was his theology good or bad? Good. Professor Converse, was was his theology good or bad? Good. Professor Rajkumar, was his theology good or bad? You're all three correct. His theology was good, but his heart 
was bad. He wanted them judged. He wanted God's hammer to come down on them. He wanted them to go under the law. Oh, give me grace, but law. Wow. He wanted them to be judged. Jonah could not see his own sin, that he was living by the mercy of God. What is mercy? Mercy is something that I do deserve, judgment, but I don't receive. Jonah doesn't see that he is no better than the Assyrians. He doesn't understand how God can be merciful to evil people and still be just. Jonah is being disobedient because of his self-righteousness. Maybe you remember that story in Luke 18 where the Pharisee is praying and he says, I thank you, God, that I'm not like other men, like an extortioner and unjust or an adulterer or even like this poor tax collector. Jonah is blind to his own sin, spiritual pride, and that caused him to be disobedient to the word. So the first point is being disobedient to the word. Second point is the downward way. Look at Jonah chapter 1, verse 3, and then 5, and then 15. Verse 3, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Verse 5. Then the mariner, no, go down a little bit more. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. Verse 15. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him, and I want to say down, into the sea. Because if you pick up somebody, they have to go down, correct? So Jonah went down. He went, he's just going down. He went down to Joppa. He went down to the seaport. He went down into the ship. He went down to lay down. He goes down into the ocean. He goes down into the uh, fish. And then later, he goes down to the bottom of the sea. Jonah is going down and down. Jonah is a respected prophet who was faithful, and now he is going into disobedience and rebellion. That's why the Bible says that there's danger in backsliding. Sin takes you down. Hebrews 3.12 says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. The ESB says, leading you to fall away from the living God. Have any of you heard that acronym APE, anxiety-provoking event? I learned that a long time ago. It's a conflict that creates anger and anxiety. It's like if a, if a bank robber comes into your building, you have to make, hurry up and make a decision. You either run or you, or, you, or you hide. You fight or flight. And that's what Jonah is doing here. He tries to run away from God. And that is dangerous because it creates distance in our fellowship with God, and it creates, you have to realize you can't run from God. Why? God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. Psalm 139.8 says, If I ascend to the heaven, you are there. If I may make my bed in hell, you are there. If I take the, deans, the, dawn, the wings of dawn and I go to the remotest part of the sea, 
Even there, your hand will lead me. God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. The downward way. Jonah is going the downward way. I will never, ever forget the pastor who discipled me when I became a Christian. His name was Jeff Taché. He was a dynamic minister and a charismatic preacher. He was zealous for the Lord. And he started a small home church in San Jose. One church with just a few people. And it grew and it grew. And then they started another church. And then they started another home church. And it grew and it went to East Palo Alto and they started a home church there. And then it grew and it grew and they moved to San Francisco and started a couple of home churches up there. And it grew and it grew. And finally it went to Fairfield where I lived. Where I got saved. And... This one home church grew to 12 home churches with over 300 people coming regularly. I remember one Sunday, we had 400 people. The church grew. Our small home church grew. And soon I was giving Bible studies and, 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 and bringing people to church. And I, I, I just loved the Word and I wanted to know more. And I, I went to Simpson Bible College and, and learned about theology so I could be better prepared to know the Bible. Well, it wasn't soon my pastor began to drift. He began fellowshipping with a man from Marin, and the elders told him not to fellowship with him. They pretty much ordered him, don't, don't associate with them. But he ignored the elders, and he left the church. And I'll never forget... I saw him again six years later. He had changed. He looked really old. He had lost a lot of weight. He had a ponytail. Here's a man who was clean cut, wear a suit every Sunday. He had a ponytail. And some of his teeth were missing. And I asked. He, I didn't ask. He told me. I was addicted to cocaine and meth. And he told me how he entered a drug rehab. And that he was now clean. But what a huge price he paid. He lost his employment. He lost his family. He lost his position. He lost some teeth. But most of all, most of all, he lost his close walk with the Lord. After that, a couple years later, I heard he had been stabbed over a drug deal and he bled to death. They cut the femoral artery and he bled to death. What happened to this zealous preacher? What happened to this man of God who led hundreds of people to Christ? What happened? He defied the Lord. He departed the church. He disobeyed the word and he drifted into a downward cycle. Drifted doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. Do you see? Do you see the downward pattern? Do you see the dangerous cycle downward? Sin takes away your joy. Sin ruins your family and your relationships. Sin breaks our fellowship with God. Sin takes you down. 
This is what happened to Lot. Lot, in Genesis 13, the Bible says, Lot lifted his eyes and saw that it was well watered. It was a beautiful valley. Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom. Lot didn't know that his worldliness and his greed was going to lead to the loss of his wealth, his wife, and his children. Lot was a righteous man, but his, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches brought him down. The ruin of a Christian. The ruin of a Christian. Sin brings you down. God on many occasions had sent prophets to Israel to repent from their backsliding. Israel was falling into immorality and idolatry. The Bible even says in Amos, Amos 4.2 that Israel despised the law. Can you imagine that? Despised the law, the Torah. Israel was God's chosen people. She had a unique relationship with God. She was there for a definite purpose. And you know what that purpose was? To be a light to the world, just like Christians are supposed to be a light to the world. And this privilege created responsibility. I'm going to read Amos 4.6. This is what the prophet Amos came and said. You don't have to turn to it. I give you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places. Yet you do not return to me, declares the Lord. I also withheld rain from you when you were yet three months into harvest. I would send rain on one city and no rain on the other city. One field would have rain and the other field did not. So two or three cities would wander to another city to drink water and would not be satisfied. Yet you did not return to me, says the Lord. I struck you with blight and mildew. Your many gardens and your vineyards, your fig trees and your olive trees, the locusts devoured. Yet you did not return to me, says the Lord. I saw, I sent among you a pestilence after the manner of Egypt. I killed the young men with the sword and carried away your horses. And I made stench of your camp go into your nostrils. Yet you did not return to me, says the Lord. I overthrew some of you as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were as a brand plucked out of the fire, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Therefore, when God says therefore, that's not a good thing. Thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. God sent warnings and natural catastrophes, but Israel would not return from her backsliding. In other words, God says, I have done all I can do. Prepare to meet your God. That is a dangerous word. Prepare to meet your God. That's dangerous words. God was going to judge them because of their disobedience. Jonah was a backslidden prophet who was disobedient, and Israel was a backslidden nation who was going in a downward direction. Jonah was backslidden, so he runs from God. Noah backslid when he got drunk. Samson backslid with Delilah. Gehazi backslid with greediness. Achan backslid when he coveted and stole. Peter, the apostle, backslid when he denied Christ and cursed in Matthew 26, 58. It says, but Peter followed him at a distance. And I would 
say today, many Christians are following Christ at a distance. At a distance. David, the greatest king of Israel, who killed Goliath with a slingshot and wrote many of the Psalms, backslid with Bathsheba. If David can backslide, shouldn't that be a warning to you? David was a man after God's own heart. But David became casual with sin. And then he was careless. And then he was carnal. And then he was callous. Even to the point of committing murder. Do you see the downward cycle? That's the downward way. Sin causes you to drift, to disobey, and to go in the downward way. Jonah is going in the downward way. He is disobedient. He's spiritually proud. And he is backslidden. Sin takes you down. So we've looked at two points. The disobedience to the word. The downward way. And the last point is the deplorable witness. Jonah 1.4 But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea. So that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they hurled their cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain said, came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give you a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, that the sea will quiet, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Then they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him down into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. This storm happens, is immediate and supernatural. As soon as Jonah boards the ship, the Bible says, verse 4, that the Lord hurled. That word hurled is the same word used in 1 Samuel 18, 11, when King Saul hurled a javelin at David. The same exact word. This storm is supernaturally sent by God. And this is a vivid picture of God sending a storm into the sea around Jonah. 
And when it says great wind, that was a great wind, that's the same word used to describe the city of Nineveh, that great city. In other words, it must have been big. There was some big wind. Listen to me. Sometimes God will send storms into your life to get your attention. God used the baby's death to get David's attention. God used the leprosy to get Gehazi's attention. God used blindness to get Samson's attention. God does not a respecter of persons. All sin has a storm attached to it. That doesn't, the Bible doesn't teach that difficulty is the result of sin. It just teaches that sin will bring difficulty. I want you to notice the contrast here between the sailors and the prophet of God. The sailors were concerned. Jonah is not concerned. What is he doing? He's sleeping. Sailors were terrified. They're worried the ship's going to break up. Jonah is out of touch with his surrounding. The sailors seek the common good. Jonah is self-absorbed. The sailors pray to their pagan god. Jonah doesn't pray. He doesn't even pray for the storm to stop. The sailors cast lots to find out who the guilty person is. See, Jonah admits, I'm the guilty person. I'm the one who's caused all this. The sailors hurl the cargo overboard. Jonah says, throw me overboard. The sailors feared the Lord exceedingly. Jonah does not fear the Lord. The sailors are spiritually awake. Jonah, spiritually asleep. Jonah is a horrible witness. But you know what I like? I like how God intervened when they were casting lots. And it was, you know, it was revealed that Jonah was the one who brought this all on them. When the lot fell on Jonah and he couldn't hide anymore, he says in verse 9, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord the, the, who made the, heaven, uh, the sea and the dry land. And then the sailors realized that it was Jonah's fault, that their ship was almost broken and they had to throw their uh, cargo overboard. You fear the Lord? Really? Your words in your life don't match. They don't add up. Jonah has lost all credibility. Jonah is a deplorable witness. And you know what's ironic? The whole reason that Jonah ran from God in the first place was so that he didn't have to preach to the wicked pagans. And guess what? That's exactly what he ends up doing. And they got saved. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? They saw the greatness of God. You know what amazes me? You can have the right theology. You can have sound doctrine. You can worship the one true God. You can be involved in ministry and still be disobedient. A, pre- a prophet, a preacher, a Sunday school teacher, an elder, a music leader, a believer can operate in the flesh. That is a poor witness. Right now, our church is studying the book of Corinth. And that church was a poor witness. There were division, spiritual pride, jealousy, lack of unity, abusing the Lord's Supper, getting drunk, incestuous sexual immorality that even the Gentiles didn't condone. Eli's sons were such a bad witness in 1 Samuel 2.22. They laid with religious prostitutes and they were taking the burnt offering by force. So God killed them. A pastor would switch the price tags of shirts on, at the stores so we wouldn't have to pay as much. That is a deplorable witness. You are being watched. What you do 
and what you say. Every time waiters and waitresses see Christians pray over their meal, they groan. Why? Because Christians are some of the worst customers. They are the most demanding, rudest, messiest, and worst of all, they're the worst tippers. Your actions and your words speak volumes. They matter more than you know. There's a poem that says, The gospel is written a chapter a day by things that you do and words that you say. Men, read what you say, whether phony or true. So what is the gospel according to you? Jonah was a deplorable witness. Deplorable. He will always be remembered. His legacy is the disobedient prophet who ran away. Wow. We're wrapping up here. God deals with born-again backsliders in four ways. The first way is conviction. If you are saved, you will be convicted of sin. And this is the best time to get right with God. The Holy Spirit will convict you. The second way is chastisement. God will discipline you and chastise you. The Greek word for discipline is padeo, and it means child training or discipline. The word for scourging refers to scourging being whipped, and with, which was severe and painful. And that's what happened to Christ when he, before he went to the cross. It was a common practice in Jewish days. So God's disciplining and scourging is given to help us, not to hurt us. Can you say amen? amen? The third way is confrontation. As Nathan confronting David, you are the man. Or Jesus confronting Peter, get behind me, Satan. That's confrontation. God will confront you with either your, your wife, which is usually what happens to me, your friend, your pastor, the Christian radio, a book, that's confrontation. Or even a church, as in church discipline. Confrontation is the third way. And the last way is consummation. And this is First John 5.16, where it says in the Bible, there is a sin unto death. This is referring to physical death, not spiritual death. There is a point you can't go beyond because God might call you home. The Apostle John is telling the believers that they can commit a sin which would lead God to take you home. Are you listening to me? God can remove you from this earthly life because you are disgracing him. This is what happened to Jeff Tache. This is what happened to Moses when he struck the, the rock twice. This is what happened to Ananias and Sapphira when they lied in Acts 5. This is what happened to some of the believers in, first, in Corinth. Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 11.30. And this is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. I need to explain something here before everybody freaks out. That God doesn't usually zap and judge you because you take communion with unconfessed sin. God did this because of their disunity, division, and and disunity. That's why God was so strong during that time. What is causing you to backslide? What do you need to throw overboard to get right with God? The most miserable person is not a lost person. The most miserable person is a person out of fellowship with God. The Bible says, For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up like the heat of the summer. Are you out of fellowship with God this morning? Proverbs 14.14 14, 14 says, a backslider in heart is filled 
with his own ways. Is God trying to get your attention? There is a story called The Hound of Heaven. The Hound of Heaven is a poem written by Francis Thompson, published in 1893. And this poem focuses on the pursuit of a sinner by a loving God. It is written in a lofty, lofty English style with deep feelings and is classified as an ode. J.R. Tolkien, author of The Lord of the Rings, said it is a, the, one of the most profound expressions of mature spiritual experience. Francis Thompson lived from 1859 to 1907. He was from a wealthy family and graduated as a doctor from Owens College. But he never practiced medicine as a doctor. He moved to London instead to become a writer. Unfortunately, he became a homeless opium addict instead, living under a bridge on the streets of London. This didn't work out well for him. He couldn't find a job or anything, and he ended up selling matches and newspapers on the streets. This didn't work out for him either. This went on for years and years. And he got sicker and sicker. And his heartache grew and grew. And his parents were Christians and and loved God. He did everything he could to run away from God and the expectations of his parents. In his ache for significance, he encountered the relentless love of the all-knowing, eternal, sovereign, one true God. One day, he took an old pencil that he found in the street of London and a piece of paper, and he wrote an epic poem about his journey. He submitted it to a magazine where a husband and wife managed the magazine. They read it, And immediately they knew this poem was a masterpiece. They tracked him down and they found out who he was. They took him in and tried to clean him up. They put him into a place where he could detox. He lived for 19 more years before he died of TB at the age of 47. He went on to become one of the greatest poets England had ever produced. J.R. Tolkien said, that his poem was part of the inspiration for Lord of the Rings. And it goes like this. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinth ways of my own mind and in the mist of tears. I hid from him and under running laughter up Vista's hopes I sped and shot precipitated a down titanic glooms of chasm fears from those strong feet that followed, followed after, but with unhurrying pace and unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy, they beat and a voice beat more instant than the feet. All things betray thee. Who betrayeth me? God is saying, you turn from me, little human, And you hurt you. Verse 151. Not shelters thee who will not shelter me. God says, 
you will find no rest if you run, push me away. Verse 110. Lo, not contents thee who contentest not me. God says, if I'm not happy, you're not happy. And verse 171. All which I took from thee, I did but take. Not for thy arms, but just that thou mightest find it in my arms. God explains that what he took from the speaker was not intended to hurt him, but to help him find his way to the right path. The speaker describes his journey of running from a loving God in order to enjoy the pleasures of the world. And the speaker believes that submitting to God meant giving up all of these pleasures. And God tells him that the pleasure he sought after was chasing him and right behind him the whole time. Would you bow with your heads with me in prayer? I don't know where some of you are in your walk with Christ, but God has something to say to all of us. You can't run from God. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Some of you are running from God. Some of you are running behind God. Some of you need to run to God. Maybe you're angry at God. Wherever you are, God wants you to stop running and get right with him. You will find no rest if you push him away. I invite you today to to invite Christ into your heart and to turn from your sinful life. Jesus said you must repent and believe. Do not harden your heart. Don't postpone. Hell is full of procrastinators. How can you live without Jesus? How will you flee the wrath to come? If you say, yes, I need to turn my life over to Christ, pray with me. Lord, I acknowledge that I have broken your law, and I deserve judgment. I believe you died on the cross to pay for my sins. I come to you by faith and believe that you rose from the dead. Forgive me for all of my sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.